0: We're going to get started. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount. Hopefully you're loving this. And um, I want to roll through this pretty fast, um, stop in a few places and linger. But um, really my goal today is is to introduce something and, and really kind of push us toward a response. And that response uh, will take place in worship afterwards. And there's something about about worship that tenderizes our hearts. I hope you felt it this morning, just God's presence in this place as, as we're learning to love the Lord, to love his face, to love his presence, to desire um, to be with his people. It's amazing what God's doing here. And so <clears throat> I just, I want us to acknowledge that that's happening, one, and two, about what it is, that it's him. It's not We have some of the most talented musicians you'll find anywhere, but it's not about musicians. It's not about people. It's about the Lord and um, what he does when we do what he asks us to do. And so this morning, we're going to talk about one of those in, in this idea of fasting. The last three weeks, we've talked about giving, praying, and fasting, and Jesus says these words, when you give, when you pray, and today, it's when you fast. These are core practices Of followers of Jesus that he assumed we would be practicing. And thus, because he assumed we'd be practicing, he also knew that we would be likely to take on other aspects of these ideas from other places and start to bolt on things on top of the commands. And he wants to free us from those things. But he doesn't want to free us from the practices, right? Like when he says, hey, be careful when you give, like how you do it, he doesn't say stop giving right, or be afraid of giving. No, no, just be, be wise and do it in the way that I ask. And so today, um, we're going to talk through fasting. This, this is not quite working there. Is that thing on up there, the remote? All right, I'm going to have to just uh, work through the slides. If you could just hit the next slide, that would be awesome. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. The hypocrites are taking a bad rap the last three weeks. So just to start, there we go. What is fasting? I just want to roll through this really, really quickly because I think it's, this is a practice that most of you here grew up in Protestant evangelical churches that fasting was not a core common practice or when it was, it was done by the supernatural, radical, on fire, crazy Christians, right? Like those people did those weird kind of crazy things, but for normal Christians, this was just kind of not a thing. And and it's interesting because my grandpa like fasted a ton, but I just never really my parents didn't talk about it a lot. Our church didn't talk about fasting a lot. And I um, went to a church in high school and the pastor was on a 40-day fast. I remember that was the first time I was like, whoa. Like and, and I watched over a series of weeks him start to just like decrease. <laughs> and in at the end, just being gaunt. Like, I mean, like, like his cheeks were sunken in. And it was this crazy thing. And I remember in my mind, I just didn't really know what it was about. I didn't really understand it, even though I came from a, a very Christian family, pastor's kid, all that stuff. But the, this, my second experience with fasting was in college when we were experiencing this little like mini revival on our Bible college campus. And me and a few friends were falling in love with Jesus. And we were desperate to be in his presence because it just felt, it was something I'd never experienced before. And so we would go two or three nights a week. My friend had keys to a little church. On uh, Southwest, 134th, in May, down there, and, and uh, we'd go in late at night and we'd put on passion worship music, which I didn't know Trent's like playing the drums on these things, which is kind of cool. Now that like, we'd put on this music and we'd just worship for three or four hours, just four of us in this little church, in the dark, and we were just having these encounters with God that were just blowing our minds. And at one point, one of us was like, "Hey, you know what? I was reading like, <clears throat> in the Bible about fasting. Maybe we should try to fast. You know, I'm 20 or 20, 21, and we're like, yeah, oh, we got this. This is going to be amazing. God's power is going to pour out. I mean, we're just kind of like, yes, you know, blow the trumpet. We're going to talk about that. We didn't actually blow the shofar, but we, if we had one, we would have stood on top of that dorm and blowed that sucker just, like, to announce our fast, which Jesus says don't do. So it's a good thing we didn't have one. But So we did it. I mean, it was the hardest day of my life. You'd think that that 24 hours without eating was, like, 24 days. I mean... All day long, we'd see each other. I was like, "Oh, I'm so, I mean." But I would literally every day at break, I would have a, a bag of Famous Amos cookies, and a strawberry soda. You realize how bad that's like. But when you're 20, it doesn't matter. I was playing basketball. I literally, I did that every day and I would lose weight. I, this is the craziest thing, guys. Like now, if I like look at that, I just, I gained five pounds. And I, but I, so I'm doing this, we're eating, and we have worship that night. We go to church and like literally, we had this crazy encounter with God, like where we were like spinning and dancing and laughing. And it was just like this incredible thing. And it got done and we we're like, it's 11 p.m., and we are like, it was like we all had this, this realization that the day ends at midnight, which means we could eat at 12.01. And so literally at 12.01, we're in the Taco Bell drive-thru <laughs> at 104th and Western on the south side. And I mean, it's the best burrito I've had in my entire life. It was just, we were just like, this is the most amazing food. Like, I mean, like, it's just, inc- but I think this thing about fasting, we just don't have much experience. Some of you do, I know. So I, I know not everyone in here this is new, but I think for a lot of us, and I think especially those of us in the younger generation, it's, it's pretty new. So what is fasting? And so I just want to give a, a simple thing. Fasting is refraining from food for a season of time. And I know that it's popular now to say fasting for everything. Like I'm fasting social media. I'm fasting for the, you know, it's like, and I would just say like the Bible does not talk about that at all. When the Bible speaks of fasting, it is directly related to food and the effect that food has in our lives as human beings. And so, so really, when you are refraining from social media or internet or watching TV or from a certain thing or whatever, that's like a really good thing. But I, I want us to hone in this morning on biblical fasting. Because if not careful, we'll make up a different kind of fast that releases us from the kind of fast that Jesus was talking about. And that the scriptures recommends to us as a way um, to encounter God in new and fresh ways. So biblical fasting isn't just refraining from all sorts of other things. It's actually refraining from food. And you have different kinds. You have like an absolute fast where you don't drink water, you don't eat food. And this is usually recommended around three days as, as long as you should do this. And it's, I mean, guys, this is like serious stuff that you consult your doctor about. Um, if you're sick or if you're on medication or if you're pregnant, like you're not, this is not, anything that God's asking you to do. So I just want to be really clear as we talk about this. Then there's a a normal fast where you just fast from food for a given amount of days. And that might be one day, it might be seven days. Some of you might try to take on like a 40-day fast. And again, if you do that, just make sure you're doing that because the the Holy Spirit told you to do that, (laughs) led you. Not because you think you'll get something cool from God or people think you're spiritual or anything like that. Like literally, this should be led by Jesus. Like he should be with you. And again, you should be like consulting your doctor if you're going on a long fast. You should have a spiritual director. You should have somebody walking with you, paying attention to your body. And then there's partial fast. You know, there's the Daniel fast where you fast um, from, uh, you eat just fruit and vegetables for a certain amount of time, which is an incredible thing. There's um, kind of a sun up to sundown fast, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later, which is a traditional, uh, traditional Lenten fast. Um, you know, there's, there's fasting from certain kinds of foods. Um, but that, that's it. I mean, it's actually, like, it's a pretty simple thing. So, so past that, like, what, what does it do? And I think this is the question. What, what does fasting do? What is it all about? Why would God ask us to do this? And, and just a few things I, I, I want to walk through as we think about this personally, and then we'll talk about it corporately. What does fasting do that you fast personally? And what does it, what does it do when a group of people corporately agree to come together and to fast and to pray. So the first thing that happens when you, when you fast <clears throat> is it confronts our dependence. Fasting reveals um, the structures that we've built our life on that may be faulty. It kind of reveals: is is my life and my lifestyle built on the rock or is it built on sand? Because all you have to do is take away a little bit of food and it's amazing what bubbles to the surface. It's amazing how much we depend on that lunchtime hour, not just getting food, but getting the kind of food that we're desiring on that particular day. right? So I find I'm not just hungry, I'm hungry for chicken beer. That's my nemesis, right? Like, I'm hungry for wings. I'm hungry for, you know, this type. I'm hungry for Thai food. I'm hungry for basil, Mediterranean euros. I'm hungry. I mean, it's like, you just go and you can, Oklahoma City actually has a food culture now that you can get whatever you want. When I was in college, you're like, do you want barbecue or pizza? Right? That's about, that was about it. If you asked me if I want sushi, I'd be like, there's no way I'll ever eat sushi. Whoa, now I love sushi. But, right, it's like, That We have everything at our fingertips. And so it confronts our dependence. It it asks the question, do I need a glass or two of wine and an episode of my favorite TV every night to unwind? Is that what I need to take the edge off, right? Where's my dependence at? Is it on the Father? Is it on Jesus? Is it on the lifestyle that he's given me? And and I just want to say... God offers more to you than just taking taking the edge off of your life. Like, he offers you more than just relaxation, more than just a little bit of veg time before you can go to bed so you can sleep a little bit better, so you can wake up and rehash the thing every day. Like, he offers us radical, complete transformation. Richard Foster says this. uh, He says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. And nobody thinks they're controlled until they do this. (laughs) And then they realize, like, oh, my goodness, I'm controlled by anger. And when you take away food, it's amazing how close anger is to the surface of my life. You take away food, it's amazing how jealous I've realized. And I can see it now for what it is because I've removed kind of this safety net around my life, and I feel exposed. And a sudden, I realize, like, I envy lots of people. And I'm actually not happy for their good. It actually makes me sad about myself, and I, I, I kind of, like, withhold those things. It says, this is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. And it's interesting because fasting is the only thing that you can't replace with something else. So you can fast social media, and you can fill it with internet surfing, Right? Or you're like, well, I'm not looking at Instagram anymore, but I'm spending six hours a day on YouTube. And you're like, I don't know that like that's working for what God wants to do. Or you're just like, oh, I just found a new show to binge. Or I'm, no more Netflix, but man, Amazon Prime. Have you seen the new stuff on there? It's pretty, and you're like, I, right? But food, there is no other replacement for food. There's nothing else you can put in your stomach that satisfies that rumbling. And there's something about that truth that identifies with the kingdom of God that what you're hungry for in your spirit cannot be fed any other way but Jesus. So God wants us to go. And what happens is you start to examine the autopilot of your life. We don't realize we're an autopilot in our marriage until we take something away and we realize like, oh wow, like I'm not very kind to my spouse and now I see it because I'm like hearing myself. It's like holding up a mirror to your life and you're getting to see it for the first time, what are the autopilots? I've got a really long uh, quote from John Piper. And so some of you love long quotes, some of you hate it. So if you hate it, just close your eyes and I'll just read it over you. But if you like it, read it on the screen. But uh, this, this one is like, whew, there's some fire in here. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. And if there's some uh, typos in there, just forgive me. So they're, they're, they're on my paper too, so if you see them, I see them too. <laughs> it's not just the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality that we drink in every night. Let me just say, guys, some of what is killing us is not the worst of hardcore pornography. It's actually the triviality that you fill your life with as you consume and consume and consume information, pictures, posts, other people's lives. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it's a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. Isn't that crazy? What keeps us from the banquet table of love is things that are actually not that bad. They're actually good things. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. This is maybe the most prophetic word I've read of the American church in years. The problem with our lives is because we're worshiping good things, the idolatry is almost unrecognizable. And it's almost incurable. So if you sit down with somebody and you try to challenge these things in their lives, they just say, what are you talking about? I go to church. I tithe. I love my wife. I pay my taxes. I do all these good things. And what that does is it releases me to give my time to these other things instead of fully to to God. Jesus said some people hear the word of God and a desire for God's awakened in their hearts but then as they go on their way they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. In another place he says, "The desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful." The pleasures of life and the desires for other things, these are not evil in themselves. These are not vices. Listen, these are not vices. They're gifts of God. They are your basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing. And I added social media and shopping and exercising and collecting and talking. And all of them can become deadly substitutes for God. One man put it this way he said, If you take away, uh, if you add in all the stuff of life, working, sleeping, eating, um, these kind of things, you end up with about 35 hours a week. Extra. These are your evenings and your weekends. And he says the kingdom of God hinges on what Christians do with that time. Because you're going to eat, you're going to sleep, you're going to work. What are you going to do with your evening time? What are you going to do with your rest? What are you going to do with your weekends? What are you going to do with your travel? All of these things, are you going to turn them toward the kingdom of God? Or are you going to use them for pleasure and leisure and for self? And I'll just say, one of the key indicators that this is you, you can find yourself in this quote, is what happens when somebody sits down with you with godly counsel? Just says, hey, I see something that I think needs to change. What's your response? You know what happens when you're fasting? What happens is it cracks you open in humility because you realize you are weak. (laughs) Without food, you're just like, oh, I can barely do anything And somebody says something to you and it just lands and you're like, whoa, that's true about me. When you're pursuing pleasure and the desires of life, somebody brings you godly counsel and what do you do? You just push it back. You just distance yourself. So what happens in this world is the gift eclipses the beauty of the giver. Paul says this in Romans, we began to worship the creation rather than the creator. And God's created such a beautiful world. I know it's easy. One person said to fast is to dethrone king's stomach. <laughs> king's stomach, that is me. Fasting also helps you reorder your desires. We just have to acknowledge we're driven by our desires. We respond to them in intuitive ways that's hard to even understand. Right? So, so you've been told in many ways by academia and by education that you're a brain on a stick that you can think your way into change and you can't. You do what you love. You're led by your heart. And the things that you love, you don't have to try at. You just do, (laughs) right? So fasting helps identify those desires, the things that we're pursuing, helps us see them clearly. And Jesus says he wants to bring your desires under his lordship. And a guy named John Mark Comer said this. He says, just so you know, your strongest desires are, are not your deepest desires. Isn't that interesting? Your strongest desire is for food, and yet Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that ushers forth from the mouth of God. Your your strongest, most biological, most base desires are not actually your deepest desire. because Your deepest desire is to know God and to be known by him. And we know this because your heart, as Augustine says, is restless until you find rest in him. So, Jesus in the desert, he starts his ministry, right? It's interesting. A dove kind of descends, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, says, this is my beloved with whom I'm well pleased. And it says right from that experience, he gets sent by the Holy Spirit into the desert. And it's like God says, you know what I want to do with you, son, is I want to to do with you what I want to do with all humans, which is to expose your limitations and your frailty and make you deal with your desires, your desire for food, your desire for power, your desire for money. All all these things, I want to deal with these things. And Jesus goes into the desert. He actually starts his ministry in fasting. He begins his walk into the future God has for him in fasting. It's a reorder of desires. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm in a place in my life where there is some reordering necessary of what I desire, right? Not on the deepest level, that thing's right, but what I've covered that deep desire up with needs some change. The last thing fasting does for you personally um, is it increases intimacy and delight. It just just gives you access to the supernatural, to who Jesus is, to to God, because you've removed this thing that you depend so much on. And what happens when everything else fails, you know what people do? They cry out to God. Have you ever sat with someone who is so desperate? Right? Right? who's like, I have nothing, I've lost everything, I've experienced death, I've lost my marriage, I've, whatever it is, I've lost my health, I'm in the hospital, I'm at death's door, what do they do? They cry out to God. It, it is your heart's, <laughs> like, like, your main fundamental orientation at your deepest level is a cry to be restored to the Father. It's just who you are. And, 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 Fasting allows that cry to rise up. It removes the blockage, allows that cry to rise up, and you get to experience this intimacy. I love Anna in Luke, right? says that she lost her husband so that she spent the rest of her life at the altar in the temple fasting and praying. Like fasting positioned her life for intimacy with God. And you know what happened? She got to see the Messiah, <laughs> When so many else missed him, she was positioned with her life to see him, to know him. I love Peter and Cornelius. Peter's fasting on one side. Cornelius is praying on another side. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He brings them together in a supernatural vision. Peter sees this sheet of food, and, and the Lord's telling him to eat. And Cornelius is praying for a miracle. And then Paul, uh, Peter gets a vision of Cornelius. It's like, what happens is there's this breakthrough that's, that's possible through fasting It allows God to work in ways that may not happen otherwise. But before we end, I just want to say there is no, this is is going to sound antithetical, but it's not. There's no power in fasting. There's zero power in, in, in just the act of fasting. Fasting is a portal to the person. That's it. Fasting is the portal to the person, to the man, Jesus, who's alive, who right now is standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, Hoping you catch this and practice it so that you can open that portal to his heart. So he can pour out his love and mercy and grace in your life. But fasting has no power in and of itself. You know why I know that? Because the world's obsessed with fasting right now. Intermittent fasting, fasting for these things, fasting. I mean It's like the world gets all the health benefits, all these other things, and yet there's no spiritual power in it because the spiritual power comes from the person. It's an intimacy that releases an intensity of the activity of God. I'll say that again. It's an intimacy that gets gained, that releases an intensity in your spiritual life that becomes His activity. Um, Corporately, what does this look like, right? You know, the first thing it does is it just reveals repentance. Like when you fast, it's you saying, uh, so so we, so I need need to switch my my language here. We, when we all corporately decide to fast, it is us saying to God, we are humbling ourselves and we are repenting for things that maybe we didn't even do. You know, the problem with, with culture today is if I'm not individually guilty, then I'm not moved to repentance. And there's things in this world that will not move until massive Amounts of people are corporately moved to repentance together and fasting and prayer, crying out to God saying, save us, rescue us, fix this because we can't do it ourselves. And the problem is most of our, our goals and our aims in this is sent into protest today. Isn't it interesting? Our nature today is if you get upset about something or you're burdened by something, organize and protest, Right? But that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know, and, and, and I'll just say, like, of all the protests that's happening right now in the world, what is changing? Is anything changing? I mean, may, maybe you think so. I, I don't see a ton. If anything, I see things continuing to get worse. And, and we're going to see that that's actually okay in God's world. But it's prayer over protest, right? It's repentance because those things are worldly responses to the problems on the earth, and our response is to repent, even for those who they're going to protest, and we're repenting on their behalf. We're actually bringing those things in, and we're saying, God, we see what's happening. The second thing it does is it releases breakthrough. Um, it's just like, these are, there's so many things that I think as Christians we need to understand. Like, when, when communism fell, did you know that there's like people fasting and praying all over the world? When apartheid fell, the church in South Africa was fasting and praying and worshiping against the demonic spirit of racism in their country. And so you can say, well, yeah, that didn't mean anything. It was really the politics. But honestly, as Christians, we have to make a decision about how we're going to define what's happening in the world. We're either going to see what God's doing and we're going to see the effectiveness of God's way or we're going to, we're going to just let go of those things and we're just going to say like, well, I guess it's politics things, because I don't see God moving. I guess it's power, so I better acquire as much power as possible. right? I guess it's money, so I might as well go and make a bunch of money because then I can make a difference. And we just don't read that anywhere in the life of Jesus in the scriptures but Ezekiel, I love it, says uh, he says, go into the, uh, these people and mark out those who mourn over Israel. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit in these days, I think he's doing the same thing. He's going through the church and he's saying, I want you to mark out those who mourn over the lack of my presence in the body of Christ. Because I want to renew those, those people who are mourning, those people who are willing to give themselves to fasting, those people who are willing to take seriously what's happening in the world, I want to mark them out because I want to use them as prophets, as people who call the church back to the Lord. And there's, there's some things, guys, that will not be released without prayer and fasting. You know how I know this? It's because Jesus said it. <laughs> right? His disciples try to cast out these demons, and they're like, it didn't work. The guy comes, he's like, they tried, it didn't work. And Jesus then casts it out, and they're like, what happened? He's like, hey, there's some things where just prayer and fasting. You, you have to get to a different um, reality to take on some of the things in the world. And I'll just say, guys, there's some things in our world right now. There's some things in our country. There's some things in our state, in our city, that will not change unless the church gives itself to prayer and fasting. And so then the question is, what do you want? If we want city transformation, if we want revival, we have to look at these things. What does this mean for us? Um, Mike Bickle shared a, a, a thing where he talked about Psalm 2, Joel 2 and Acts 2 and the relationship between these three texts. Um, And he talks about, like, we live in a Psalm 2 reality, which requires a Joel 2 response, which leads to an Acts 2 result. All right, so I'm going to read these texts, and I want you to really listen with your heart. Psalm 2 says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves together and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds and cast their cords away from us. Friends, we live in a time on the earth where everyone, almost everywhere, is saying, Let us be free from God (laughs) and from his Son and from this thing Called Christianity. Many of you, you're surrounded by friends who have built their lives on being free from God, and it's this thing where slave, like, we feels like we're going to be slaves to God, and we'd rather be masters, right, of our own domain. And, and it says, I love it. Says, why do the nations rage? Do you guys feel the nations raging? <laughs> you feel it? Do you read the news? Do you see what's happening? China. All right? Coronavirus, you've got North Korea, you've got Syria, you've got Iran, you've got all this, the nations are raging right now. And then it says the king sits on his throne, the Lord, and he laughs. <laughs> we sit on the earth and we see the nations raging and we're just like, oh no, what's going to happen? And God's sitting on the throne. And he's saying just, it'll be okay. But then he sends forth like, what's the response? What happens? What are we supposed to do? When the nations rage, right? What are we supposed to do? It says this, Joel 2 says, Yet even now, the Lord says, Return to me with all your heart. Right? This isn't, hey, go back to church. Get involved. Send your kids to kids ministry. You know, give some money. Make sure your kid has a youth group. Like, no, 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 like, he's like, return to me with all of your heart. With fasting, weeping, and mourning, rend your your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he's gracious and merciful. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And then he goes on and says, and in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. In the days when my people rightly respond to the raging of the nations, you know what I'll do? I will show up again in power like I have before. But there's a hinge that unleashes that. He says, I'll show wonders in the heavens, right? And then we see in the book of Acts, it says, in those days, they were all together in one place and the Holy Spirit poured out and there was tongues of fire and there's all these things happening. And it says that that thousands of people got saved and the church got launched. Um, I'm gonna invite the band back up and I'm gonna wrap up with a few kind of closing comments. Invite us to something. Um, So, This is like a truth that I think we have to wrap our heads around. Um, Church, as you know it, as I know it, as I have experienced it my entire life, has resulted in one of the most rapid declines in Christianity in the history of the world. Church, as you know it, as you grew up in it, as you have experienced it, the way we have gathered and lived our lives have resulted in one of the most rapid declines of Christianity that has ever been seen since Christ walked the earth. That's a whew, that's a punch to the gut. And I'll just say, in our state individually, it has resulted in the crushing of those who Jesus called us to love and lift up and serve church as we know it in Oklahoma has resulted in the highest incarceration rate in the world it's resulted in one of the worst spirits of racism that you'll encounter anywhere in the country it's resulted in the worst education system for those who are on the other side of the economic specter it's resulted in broken relationships, it's resulted in greed and pride I mean that that is the result of church as we know it and if we aren't careful, we'll just keep rolling it back, expecting a different result. And for some of you in here, you have a good enough life, you've acquired enough education, you have enough money that it will never affect you. And you can just keep on living. But I would say for me, like, I am awakening to what God wants to do on the earth in this generation. And I don't want the th- good things that God's given me, a family, a family, enough money to eat and buy a home and have a car, a job that I love. I don't want those things to reduce me from being an instrument of God in this generation. You know, they say you get what you pay for. (laughs) So if you spend all of your outrage on Twitter, you know what you'll get? More outrage you take your outrage and you take it to fasting and prayer, you know what you'll get? You'll get the presence of God poured out in your life. You'll get his power, even if it's just in your sphere and you can't change anything but your small circle of friends, your family, your home life. You're not the governor, you're not the mayor, you're not a state senator, but guess what? God can invade your space and radically change it. I just want to say when it comes to fasting, you're stronger than you think and God's stronger than you could ever imagine. <laughs> so here's what I want to do. I'm going to call our church to fast during Lent together, like a corporate fast for spiritual awakening, for revival to break out. First in us and then in our church and I think it's already happening. So part of this is just going to be uh, you fast, you're just going to be thanking God for what, what's already going on but for it to spread to our city, to our region, to our nation, and to the ends of the earth, that God would come back. He said, I see see you. I see you in your fasting. I see you in your commitment. I see you in your sacrifice. I see you paying the price. You're waving your arms going, Lord, here, (laughs) here. We're a people that you can pour out your presence on, and we will steward it. Um, So our heart in this this church is for revival and I think you might have shown up just because you have friends here or you heard it was a cool church or Trent's amazing which Tia is, is amazing and you may say I'm not really into that revival thing and I just want to say that's okay but we're going to be <laughs> like we're going to run after that for this next season of our church until we find it with him because the nations are raging people are dying people are desperate for Jesus and our response to match. So, my little boy Judah this morning, we got here at 8 a.m. this morning, and uh, I saw him with a donut, and then I saw him with another one, and then I saw him with another one. And so, if your kid didn't get a donut this morning, it's because my kid ate most of them. Um, but we we're here since 8, so pastor's kids have to have some perks, right? I'm a pastor's kid. But he's on donut, I was like, how, how many is that? He's like, five. That's number five. And I was like, oh man. Okay, you've you got to be cut off. But we're sitting on the front row, and he goes, Daddy, do I have to eat the bread because my, my tummy hurts? said no son you don't have to eat the bread but God gave me a picture of the church we're full on the bread of the world so that when we come to him we actually aren't hungry anymore And so many of us what we need to do in this season we need to remove that bread of the world we need to stop eating that stuff and create space for the hunger of God to rise up in us and do something new in our generation new wine so here's what I'm going to do and what I would ask you to join with me. I'd love for you to join with me in a 40-day fast over Lent. And what I'm going to do is just a partial fast. It's a traditional Lenten fast. Um, it's You don't eat breakfast or lunch and you wait until sundown. You eat one simple meal per day. That's it. And believe me, it's hard. And I, I, I know it's hard. But I did it last year for Lent with a friend, and man, we had so many incredible encounters with God, and I just can't imagine if not just two people did it, but if 40 people did it, or 100 people did it. And you may say, I can't do that. Okay, well, do this fast one day a week. Just take Friday and fast that day from food, not from anything else, from food, and give your day to seeking the Lord in prayer. Open the Bible, read it front to back in these 40 days. If you're like, I can't do that, fast one meal a week over the next 40 days. But for those of you who are like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to like go on the mountain, I, I would love to hear from you to say, hey, I'm with you, I wanna do 40 days, I wanna do a partial fast. And I just wanna say, for those of you who are running after it, you're gonna mess up, you're gonna eat something, you're gonna forget, you're gonna get in front of people where it feels awkward to tell them that you're fasting. And I just say, just eat. Just eat in that moment, skip another meal somewhere else. This isn't about judgmentalism, it's not about legalism, it's not about performance or earning. I don't care about any of that. It's about you seeking the Lord while he may be found. But if you're going to do that, if you're like, I'm in for the 40-day fast, I'm in to fast a day a week, I'm in at all, would you just email me? I'm literally jonathan at skylineokc.com. I just want to create a list so that I can pray over that list so I can communicate with you as the Lord just like really um, reveals stuff to us. And here's what I think. I think if we do that, I think we will usher in the presence of God in our midst for our healing, for our restoration, for our reconciliation. I think it'll become so powerful it'll start to spill out into the city. So will you stand to your feet? Ash Wednesday um, starts on, uh, Ash Wednesday is on Wednesday. So Lent starts on Wednesday. So you've got a few days to pray about it. Uh, One of the other things I forgot to mention, what I'm gonna do during that 40 days is um, starting the week after Lent, I'm gonna be here at 12 p.m. every day at noon, from noon to one. We're gonna turn worship on the screen and we're gonna worship every day at lunch for anybody who wants to come. Again, we just wanna give ourselves, I wanna take a step forward toward God and say, hey God, I'm here. I know your face is turned toward us. Would you come and meet us? So if you're interested, you're like, I'd love to spend a lunch hour. Maybe it's just once a week. Maybe you want to come every day, every week. Someone will be here. I might be out of town. Somebody else will be here from the staff, but our staff is doing this all together. We're committed to seeking the Lord. So I'm going to pray over us. And Trent's going to, we're just going to sing one song and then we're going to be dismissed. But would you just close your eyes and would you just turn your palms up just a signal to God that we're open to receiving so Lord we love you I thank you that you have given us this practice of fasting to remind ourselves that you are better than food Jesus you are better than our culinary desires you're better than cocktails you're better than happy hour you're better than date night you are better Lord than the best vacation You're better than anything we could give our life to. And so in these days, Lord, we wanna offer up to you a sacrifice. We wanna pay a price, Lord, to see you in the land of the living, to see you work, Lord. We wanna pay the price so that loved ones who are far from you would return home. So that addicts, Lord, who are living in darkness would be healed and delivered. Lord, so those who are desperate in prison might get released by the outstretching of your arm, Lord, and everybody would have to say it was God. It wasn't power, it wasn't money, it wasn't politics, it wasn't protest, it was Jesus Christ, the man showed up in power through his spirit and delivered a people. So Lord, this morning we wanna just respond in worship. I pray for each one that your Holy Spirit would speak to their heart. And Lord, they wouldn't do this to please the person next to them or to please me or to please anyone, but they would see you and they would say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And whatever it is you put before them, God, they would respond in obedience. And so collectively, Jesus, we just say you are Lord and master and king, and we want to give our lives to knowing you and to making you known in a generation that's desperate for life. Come, Jesus by your spirit and make us new. Give us strength by your presence to live the life that you've called us to. We worship you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So let's just sing, let's just listen, listen to the Holy Spirit right now, what he's saying to you, Trent.